Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today recording Lost in the Woods. We are getting back on track. We are getting back caught up. <laughs> Although our regular listeners probably didn't really feel the pain of that. Because I don't think they actually missed anything. Did they not? I don't think so. Yeah, so... Uh, For all of our regular listeners, we did create a Patreon-only sticker. If you didn't see that on our social media, it is my backpack and Maddie's backpack. Yeah, so if you join Patreon in the next... I think we're doing all month. If you join this month, which is April, then you get to choose either Maddie's backpack or my backpack. If you join within a relatively close time to when this episode came out, you will get a sticker. Yep. And all of our patrons get access to our the stickers as well. Yeah, and so. you get to pick my mom's neat, nice backpack or, like, my backpack that's my backpack. There's, like, Red Bull can hanging out. There's, like, stuff strapped to the outside of it. There's, like, a rain jacket sticking out. They're pretty fun, so... Today, we are covering the case of Glenn and Bessie Hyde, who would run the rapids from Green River, Utah, through the Colorado River Rapids in the Grand Canyon, where they planned to end in Nettles, California, and they would be doing this on their honeymoon. Glenn and Bessie Hyde were actually married in April of 1928 in Twin Falls, Idaho. So we are going back away. Bessie was born December 19 of 1905 and graduated from Parkersburg High School in West Virginia. And after high school, she actually eloped with her high school sweetheart, Earl Hemlock. But she would soon leave him saying he was indifferent and didn't seem to care. Glenn was born December 9 of 1998. He was a farmer in Twin Falls, Idaho, Him and his family had ran the rapids in the Snake River in Idaho and the Peace River in Canada. So he is a river guy. Gotcha. I want a gray cat and I want to name him Earl. Okay. Random. In 1927, Bessie booked a one-way ticket on a ship from San Francisco to Los Angeles, where she met Glenn and fell in love. She actually deboarded the ship and went with Glenn to Idaho where she met the Hyde family and actually went on a family camping trip with them to Redfish Lake. Later that summer, Bessie and Glenn would travel to West Virginia to meet her family. And her husband actually showed up to this to claim his wife. And in response, she asked him for a divorce, but he refused. So Bessie did what more and more unhappy wives were doing at this time. She went to Elko, Nevada, lived there for six weeks to qualify as a Nevada resident, and then divorced Earl. Because you could actually divorce in Nevada without the permission of your husband. Okay. So after this, the couple would have a small wedding and seemed like a really good match. Everybody seemed to think that they were a great couple. They were both bright and loved adventure. And for their honeymoon, the couple would actually build a boat to embark on their dream honeymoon. They would run the rapids from Green River, Utah, through the Colorado River Rapids in the Grand Canyon, where they would end in Nettles, California. 
So this was a really big deal at the time. Like, no woman had actually been recorded as doing this run yet. Okay. So Earl really wanted to break records. Bessie really wanted to be, sorry, Glenn really wanted to break records. And Bessie really wanted to be the first woman to run this. Why did I say Earl? Did you fucking say Earl earlier? Her ex-husband's name oh, is Earl. Oh, gotcha. And you said you wanted a cat named Earl. Yeah, like Earl okay. Grey, like, but like a gray cat. Oh, that's kind of cute, actually. The boat would be a 20-foot scow, and they have more of like a flat bottom, and actually people say they kind of resemble a coffin. Ugh. It took him two days and $50 to build this boat, and this was not a typical river rafting boat. This was a boat that was not something that people in this area had seen before. Okay. They would actually be cautioned by experienced rafters who attempted unsuccessfully to convince them that their boat was not safe for this type of journey. And people were very concerned that they chose not to carry life jackets as well. Okay. No life jackets? No life jackets. The Grand Canyon is no joke. It stretches 277 miles and measures from 4 to 18 miles in width. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. 18 miles long? Mm Mm-hmm. Wide. That's what I mean. I meant wide. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. They would set off around 4 p.m. Saturday, October 20 of 1928. And they planned to be out... On December 6th. So that is their out date in California. Okay. It's kind of, that's a long time on the river. That's a really long time on the river. Especially in like not the best weather. Yikes. Their boat was packed with gear. Plenty of food. Glenn also had his long barrel Winchester on board. So that he could hunt. They had... A sand and ash-filled barrel. This way they could pour kerosene on the sand and light it for a fire. They also had a set of bed springs on board. So they would be relatively comfortable. And they could actually cook from inside their boat, I believe. They would actually drift south for the first two days. Then onto the red sandstorm cliffs of Labyrinth Canyon. They noticed several inscriptions on a canyon face where they also added their own. On October 24, Glenn shot a duck and they prepared it with homegrown potatoes. Hmm. They would then enter Stillwater Canyon where the river dropped and the walls closed tight in on them. On October 27, they reached the confluence of the Green and the Colorado River. Here, the flow of the river would double and speed up for the next four miles. Their boat does look like it would be very difficult to navigate in the river. Yeah. They would enter Contract Canyon, known as the Graveyard of the Colorado, due to the rapids here, and Bessie actually ended up in the water, but Glenn was able to pull her back in. Oh my god. I know. God. No, and they have no life jackets. 
Yeah, scary. Why aren't they wearing life jackets? I don't know. I don't know. Then they entered the heart of Contract Canyon. After surviving the graveyard, they camped for two days to recover. It was during this time that they would also name their boat after one of the great warriors, and they called it Rain in the Face. Rain in the Face? (laughs) Yeah. After setting off in water much higher and faster than when they docked, they passed Dirty Devil River and entered Glen Canyon, where they spent the afternoon touring abandoned cabins and even spent some time with a prospector that still resided there. The next day, they would come upon the wreckage of Haskinini, a dredge built to extract gold from the river floor. The following day, they would pass the Escalante River and the San Juan River. And here, Glenn would actually shoot a deer for them. So on November 6th, headwinds would bring them to a crawl, and they would be at the mercy of the storm. By November 8th, they would reach Lee's Ferry, where Glenn would send a letter to his dad. And his letter said, Dear Dad, arrived two days ahead of schedule. We were much surprised when we came around the bend and saw the cluster of houses. There are about six people here and about that many houses. We had a fine trip so far, and we are enjoying it immensely. Bessie is feeling fine and eating everything but the boat. And eating everything but the boat. (laughs) It's a nice thing to say about your wife. The cataracts were rather fierce. In the first one, Bessie fell out, everything but one heel. I don't think the cataracts are much worse than some places on the salmon, which I assume is a river. Yeah. That is any more drop, but they are faster and the waves dash higher. It was great sport. So they encountered many people at Harper's Ferry that tried to talk them out of taking the scow any farther down the river. But Glenn was undeterred, even told his father that they were through the worst of it now, which is the opposite of what they were actually told. Yeah. So I think he's just really optimistic and he's not worried about it. Mm -mm. On November 8th, the couple would reach Badger Creek Rapid, where it is quite rocky and the scow would end up getting stuck and the couple would have to work really hard to get it off of the rocks. Once done, they would camp for the night. And this was day 20 of their journey. Damn, 20 days? 20 days. Next up would be Soap Creek, which was well known for being unrunnable. They would make it through, though, but have to bail the boat out many times. By the evening of November 11, they had drifted from Nanakoweep Canyon into Grand Canyon National Park where Glenn would quickly run the boat aground and have to expel considerate effort to free it. The following day, they would pass the mouth of the Little Colorado River, and this would mark the beginning of the Grand Canyon proper. They would camp at Furnace Flats, where the weather would beat down on them. Bessie wrote, The wind is blowing so much that everything is just about covered with sand, including Glenn and I. We should be nearly to the Grand Canyon Village, but of course it's hard to tell. The scenery, since Little Colorado came in, is really more majestic, but it isn't as beautiful or as fanciful as Stillwater and Cataract Canyons. We had lots and lots of riffles, large and small, and have been gliding along at a great rate. 
We've had all kinds of camps, from beach to rock shelves. Glenn added in his journal, The rapids we have come over have no straight drops higher than the salmon, about eight feet, but are longer, much faster, and bigger waves. They get up more speed and the water has more power. I looked everything over that showed a big drop after we hit the rock. Hope we hit no more rain. The tarp lets the weather through pretty badly. The river appears to be straighter now and ought to make good time. So even though they're having a rough time, they still seem pretty optimistic. Yeah. When attempting to push off the next day, they actually find it impossible and simply move to a more sheltered spot. So that's how stormy it is right now. So they went through Hans Rapid and they would do okay through this one, but Soft Dolliger Rapids would be more challenging. Glenn would write in a letter to his father, The oar cracked me under the chin and got away. I remember getting a hold of it again. Next, I was going into the river feet first. I don't recall clearing the boat. The first time I came up, I missed the edge. But the next time, after being down some time, made it. And after getting my strength, I climbed in. Bessie took my oar, and as soon as I went out, she was doing her best. But afterwards, she was pretty shaken up. So Glenn ends up out of the boat on this one. Where are your life jackets? And after this incident, Bessie actually wrote that she was ready to climb the wall right then and there, but said that Glenn had just laughed at her when suggesting this. Next would be Grapevine Rapids. And this was the twin sister of Sock Dollinger Rapid that had given them so much trouble before. But they would actually fare better through these rapids. And by noon, they had landed at Bright Angel Creek, where they would make the 5,000-foot climb to the Grand Canyon Village. Yikes. That's a lot to climb. The kebab trail had been finished, and they would follow this to the rim where they expected to find the town, but there was nothing. What they didn't realize is that the new trail ended six miles from the town, and with it almost dark now, they would have to walk the road. I know. Luckily, they only had to walk a couple miles before a car came along and they were able to get a ride. They ate a good meal and slept in a real bed that night. In the morning, they got supplies and arranged to have them packed down to their boat by a mule. Here, they also talked to a reporter from the Denver Post, and they would print this, Dares Rapids for Thrills, Idaho Woman on Perilous Journey in Boat, Daring the Swirling Reaches of the Colorado River, a homemade scout is carrying a slight woman in search of a thrill over a course that no woman has ever dared before and that men have conquered only a half a score times. Through foaming rapids and whirlpools, sometimes between towering sand cliffs and sometimes between sheer walls of rock rising thousands of feet on both sides of the stream, the fragile craft has been bobbing along for a month. So the media is definitely focusing on her 
because this is unusual, right? And then from the AP Bulletin on November 21 of 1928, they reported Mrs. Glenn R. Hyde of Hanson, Idaho, is taking a vacation frolic with her husband by trying to navigate the Colorado River, dangerous rapids, and all in a homemade scow. The foaming Colorado River, whose muddy, turbulent waters have wrapped in a tragedy many times the effort of a man to conquer it by boat, is being dared for the first time by a woman as a vacation frolic. Somewhere between Nettles, California and here, Mrs. Glenn R. Hyde of Hanson, Idaho, and her husband are crouching in a homemade scow as they tumble over dangerous rapids down the twisting river. That one makes her sound like a little more, like, foolhardy, kind of. Yeah. So here they would meet Emery Kolb. He was well-known for documenting the canyon and knew the terrain very well. Glenn tried to convince the pair that with the weather, there would be significant danger ahead. But Glenn was adamant that they continue. And at this, Emery tried to give the pair his life jackets, but again, they refused. Why won't they take life jackets? I don't know. He did give them a signed copy of his brother's book through the Grand Canyon from Wyoming to Mexico. And while they were there, he took two photos of the pair. So the couple spends the night and they both write home to their families before setting off early in the morning, boarding their boat and heading on their way. A half mile further downriver, they came to Rust's camp. And this is a tourist attraction. It's actually called Phantom Ranch now. But at this location, they signed the guest book. So what they wrote in the guest book was going down the river November 16 to 28 in a flat-bottomed boat. I would say that that probably makes it pretty clear who it is yeah. <laughs> just by mentioning the flat-bottomed boat. Now, when they made it back to the beach, they actually found a man there named Adolf Sutro who was looking over their boat because it is an unusual boat. He was a wealthy tourist and adventurer from San Francisco, and he actually talked Glenn and Bessie into letting him ride with them for a few miles down the river. Hmm. He would actually photograph the final pictures of the couple, and he is the last known person to see them. Can, can you imagine? You're just like a tourist, and you see this boat, and you're like, hey, that's a cool boat. You meet this couple, you talk to them, and then... Turns out you are the last person that sees them alive. Now, there is varying information about Adolf. So in some accounts, it says that he was a friend of the Kolb brothers and that that is where the couple met him. But in the book, Sunk Without a Sound, he's a completely separate interaction from the brothers. So I would say that the book is probably the most accurate account that I've been able to find of their journey down this river. I would hope that the book about their journey would be the most, <laughs> the most accurate. Well, yeah. you never know. I would be hoping. Well, and you have to remember, too, this story was so crazy that it morphed and changed and people's accounts changed and people's stories became exaggerated. Like, there's a lot of stories that changed or people that inserted themselves into 
Glenn and Bessie's journey that were never even there. On December 9th, Glenn's father, R.C. Hyde, was expecting a telegraph from his son. And he said, I did not wait until they were late, for I have been afraid all of the time. When they did not telegraph on the day they were set to arrive, I left. Right, so he's saying when he didn't get a telegraph the first day that he was supposed to get one, he immediately, like, panicked. Yeah. Because he was already nervous about their journey coming to an Mm -hmm. end. Also, December 9th was Glenn's 30th birthday. So he set out to search for Glenn and Bessie, and it sounds like he mounted a pretty extensive search. Yeah, it's actually crazy. So the majority of the search that does occur for Glenn and Bessie is at the prompting of Glenn's father, Archie. So he actually found the Smith brothers, who were the only inhabitants along the river. Their ranch was about a week upstream from Nettles Camp which was the end of Glenn and Bessie's journey. They confirmed that they had not seen the couple. And if they hadn't made it to Smith's ranch, then they were even more past due than Glenn's father had initially thought, which sent R.C. into a panic, basically. He took a train to Las Vegas where he pleaded with the government to get involved. He also posted a $1,000 reward for any information that led to finding the couple dead or alive. $1,000 was a lot of money back then. Yeah. But basically, this is going to get people at least watching for them Mm -hmm. is the thought process. Or thinking about if they saw them or anything like that. He even telegraphed Emery Kolb asking him to join the search. But he was actually out of town at this time. I think he was actually, like, at a doctor, and they were telling him that he needed to get his appendix out, which he never actually did, and he was totally fine. So super kind of random, but... What's up with it with doctors telling you to get your appendix out when you don't need to get your appendix out? I think when you have pain and they don't know why, it's like, let's take out your appendix. Because my appendix was unnecessarily taken out when I was seven months pregnant with you. Yes, I make that joke for a reason, (laughs) not out of... Not out of just spite. Seriously. I, I, yeah. Seven. So they're still doing the same medical practices. I'm really glad to know. Yeah, that we're this- still unnecessarily recommending that people get their appendix out. That That is still happening in today's medicine. My mom was in pain when she was pregnant <laughs> with me and they're like, oh. Let's take out your appendix. Yeah. You're seven months pregnant. It'll be fine. Fine. Also we, can't, also, we can't put you under and have to make a large incision on your side because we can't go in with the little tiny cameras like normal. Thanks, guys, for Because that you're pregnant. Because yeah. you got a baby in you. Oh, and then afterwards, were they just like, oh, sorry. They were like, yeah, I guess that wasn't the problem. Thanks, guys. Anyway. Okay, he paid to, like, river guys $500 to travel 70 miles to Havasu Creek at the end of the park, and said that if they called him at Havasu and wanted to continue, that he would pay them another $500. So he's paying people a ton of money to just get out on the river. Fun fact, I'm actually supposed to go to Havasu to this place this year. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Deputy Sheriff John Nelson 
from Peach Springs was quick to join in the search. And he had recently moved to Peach Springs with his wife and 10 children, and he was the sole legal authority for the area. Private planes were also scheduled to fly out of Flagstaff, but had bad weather at the airport, which prevented them from taking off. So in California, Major General Hines learned of the delay and sent two planes out to assist in the search himself. They flew to Nettles, where they refueled. They also brought supplies on board to drop to the couple if they were able to find them. They flew upriver in search of the scout, but made it to Vegas with no sign of the couple or their boat. Meanwhile, there were also dozens of the Mojave tribe searching trails along the river. All of this in vain. Nothing is found. So, R.C. Hyde, in only one week, had managed to get three river searches by boat, dozens by land searches, and federal searches by air. Very impressive. That is pretty impressive. I know. Now, by December 19, it was snowing. So, this would make searching more difficult. And the two military planes that had landed in Vegas readied their planes to head back into the search. Another plane took off from California to aid in the search, and pilot Adams and Plummer, the pilots of the military planes, flew low winding upriver, and 30 miles from the Grand Wash Cliffs, they spotted a boat that was adrift in the river. They flew as low as they could get in order to get a better look and saw no sign of Glenn or Bessie anywhere near the boat. Was it their boat? Yes. It's their boat. It was their boat. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, remember, there's also snow on the ground, and there is no tracks on land showing that anyone had recently moved around near the boat. They still continue searching south, looking for any signs that they had made it to shore or that they had left the boat. The plane continued south, looking for signs of the couple, but found none. And when they landed, Hyde and Kolb were waiting for them, and the pair were sure that, based on the description, that it was Glenn and Bessie's boat. So they went back, they landed, they talked to them, said what they saw, and they were sure that this was the boat that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, Hyde was ecstatic to learn that the boat was intact, and he was sure that it had simply got away from the pair and that they were somewhere trying to get out of the canyon because they're inside a canyon. So if they do get separated from their boat or the boat gets away from them, it's not like they can just walk out of the area. Like, I listened to one description of somebody who had to climb out of an area near here, and he basically had to, like, scale up this crack in the canyon, like pushing his hands and his feet against the side of the wall and scale up hundreds of feet. And like, if you fall, you're dead. Very difficult to get out of some areas of this canyon. I'm walking miles along the river to find a better place to get out. Right. Well, and that's kind of the thought, right? Like they could, they could have lost the boat weeks before they could have lost the boat miles away i mean there's just no telling where they could have been separated from their boat 
Glenn's dad even sent a telegraph back home saying, boat found everything in dry, hope to find them unharmed. And then Kolb actually, the brother, one of the two brothers, jumped in and headed back in order to positively identify the boat. And he was convinced that this was their boat. So on December 21st, Emery Kolb, R.C. Hyde, and Jimmy Brooks bought lumber to build a boat in order to reach the scow. Right, because they can't get dropped there from the plane. Like, the plane can't get them to the ground. It was the first day of winter, day 10 of R.C.'s search, and more than 30 days since Glenn and Bessie had been seen. Yeah. Deputy John Nelson and his men returned to Peach Springs, where they encountered R.C., Kolb, and Brooks getting ready to build a boat and informed them that they had found a damaged boat near the river and thought it might be salvageable and save them some time. So they set out and started patching that boat instead of building themselves right. A whole new boat. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, this is uh, this is a while ago. You can't just go and just casually buy a boat. Right. You have to make your boat. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they're building a boat and, and patching a boat and not just yes. buying a boat. And the boat that they patched does turn out to be kind of a nightmare. But, like, somebody left it yeah. for a reason. Now, on December 22, word came from a search team on the river that they had found no footprints in the snow and no sign that anyone had been on the shore. Although word came from a prospector in Black Hills, six miles from Boulder Canyon, saying that he had seen a leather jacket float by him in the river, but the current had been too strong for him to grab it. Although there was no real indication that this jacket belonged to the Hides. Okay. I was going to say, was he wearing a leather jacket floating down the river? It's kind of a random thing to be floating down the river. So by the 23rd, RC deemed the boat seaworthy and they would launch the next day. Deputy Nelson would also prepare an overland horse trip to the mouth of Spencer Canyon. They're basically just trying to head in the direction of the boat from any way that they can. On the 24th of December... The Cold Brothers, along with Jimmy Brooks, launched off to head to the boat and watch out for the couple. And at this point, the couple had not been seen for 36 days. So concerning. It would be Christmas Day when the first searchers would reach the scow. Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. I know. Oh. It was found around River Mile 237, which is now known as the Honeymoon Rapids. And I believe that this name actually came from them. Mm. I don't think it was called the Honeymoon Rapids before Glenn and Bessie's boat was found there. It was about 30 feet from the shore, and it seemed to be stuck in a calm pool of water. So the boat hasn't moved. It's actually stuck on something. Glenn's weapon was still in the corner of the boat. Their hiking boots and warm clothes were on board. And this is very concerning because this indicates that they did not leave their boat to attempt to hike out. All of their supplies seem to be strapped in. Their food is waiting for them, including a baked ham that has not been touched. For 36 days. 
Yeah. They found Bessie's camera along with six rolls of film, and Bessie's diary was in the boat. Her final entry was on November 30 near Diamond Creek and gave no clue as to what may have happened to the pair. So as of November 30, everything appears to be fine. Which was like a month ago. Yeah. The camera showed a final picture near River Mile 165 around November 27. Everything seemed to be fine with the boat. There were no signs of the boat having crashed or been damaged. And when they get there, they still see no tracks indicating that the couple left the boat recently. Which we would assume, right? Because they've been missing for Mm -hmm. 36 days, right? So I would assume that where the boat currently is is not where the couple left the boat personally. On the gunwale of the scow, Glenn and Bessie had carved a notch for every day that they traveled. And there were 42 notches in the boat. And when they had last been seen, it would have been day 30 of their track. So that means that they made it at least 12 more days in their boat from the last day that they were seen. Mm -hmm. If these notches are correct. Which I don't see why they wouldn't be. Right, right. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. The news of how the boat was found gave Archie no solace. Obviously, because their hiking clothes are on board, their money, their food, everything is on board, which indicates that the couple had no intention of leaving their boat. And it had been 27 days since their last notch was carved. Yeah, um... Haven't they both already gotten thrown from the boat at this point, though? Yes. Glenn's father put together a search team who spent more than a month combing the area last mentioned in Bessie's diary. Right, which is kind of smart because I would think that that's where I would start my search, is where we know they last most likely were. The day after Christmas, a plane from an air touring line reported that they had seen a pair by the river and everyone jumped to the conclusion that it was the Hydes. And the press was even notified. But it turned out to be other searchers looking for the couple. The next day, Belay Roth, an old friend of Bessie's, received a package from Bessie with a handwritten note and an ornament. So, of course, then it's like, Well, did Glenn and Bessie make it out of the canyon and returned home and nobody realized it? So this started like a crazy rumor. And then it would later be determined that Jean Hyde had actually sent the packages along with others that Bessie had pre-prepared before she left. So she had prepared these gifts for her friends. For Christmas. Right, before she left. So it was not the couple. So R.C. Hyde refused to give up the search even after authorities assured him that the couple had surely perished. That would be so hard. Because what if they haven't? But at the same time, there's a lot of shacks and different places along the river that the couple could have been taking shelter in. Yeah, I mean... Uh. So on the 29th of December... 
R.C. and Nelson reached the mouth of Diamond Creek and headed upstream. It was Bessie's 23rd birthday. By January, all had given up the search besides Hyde himself. Yeah. He had spent every penny he had searching for the pair. On January 17th, he headed on his own with a pack on his back, heading toward the location of the scow. And this was just a month before his 70th birthday. Yeah. And he writes home, too, saying that he's just terrified that they're trapped somewhere, that they're stuck somewhere, and that nobody can get to them. So when he returned from his search, he got word that a body had been found by a man traveling upriver. He had found a small stone monument by the river with a note stuffed in it saying, Slim, I am taking this road. It looks good to me. Curious, he followed the trail into a canyon and it led to a body of a man. He was later identified as Cecil Cutler. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had died of exposure and starvation. So not the hides, but somebody else who had wandered away from the river. What's with the stone monument? Well, it sounds like he made it as like a marker to show where he had gone. Or maybe like find his way back to the river. I'm and not sure. And he died of starvation yeah, and dude. exposure. Mm. Yikes. In 1931, a search party that had been searching for another man that had been swept away, pulled in at Diamond Creek for a rest. There they found an abandoned search boat marking the end of the search journey. And this was the one that R.C. Hyde had contracted to travel to Havasu Reservation. They had made it to Havasu Reservation, and then they had continued a bit further, and then they had given up the search. The searcher went into an old abandoned shack that was nearby, And he laid down to take a rest. And when he looked at the ceiling, he saw carved into the top, Glenn and Bessie Hyde, November 31, which this is either carved wrong or remembered wrong because there are only 30 days in November. So either... Yeah, but if you're out on the river and you're traveling and you don't exactly know that November only has 31 days, you might mark November 31st as a day if you're not aware that there's no... Right, or the guy could have just remembered the day wrong that was carved on the road. Either way, the building is no longer there, and once this information came out and they went to look for it, It the building had been actually... Yeah, I think I remember reading somewhere that somebody had burnt down... Like, all the buildings in this little, like, shack area or in this little, like, abandoned area. This spot is about 12 miles upstream from where the Hyde's boat was found. And this also coincides with Bessie's last journal entry on November 30, which was near Diamond Creek. But this was the first evidence that they had actually physically made it that far. The last campsite that had been found was some 15 miles upriver from the site. But obviously, some of their campsites might not be easy to find or might not be visible, especially if they were taking shelter or moving away from the river to camp. 
There were no recorded tracks seen at Diamond Creek when the planes had been searching, which had led searchers to believe that they had not docked there. But this could be evidence that they had. Either way, we can't see it. It's gone. But it would be nice if there were, if there was a picture taken of this or something where we could actually compare it to the couple's handwriting. Because even if it was there, it doesn't mean that they did it. Yeah. And, of course, with anything like this, there would be wild stories that came out and were repeated and exaggerated and changed and just craziness. One of them was that the couple had gotten into a fight at hermit camp and Glenn forced Bessie into the boat. So like people saying that they had seen them fighting at this, at this area and that Glenn had forced Bessie into the boat against her will. Now, this is actually the stretch where Adolf Sutro was with them. So very doubtful that it's true. Yeah. They did visit Hermit Camp and sign the guest book, but there is no indication that there was any kind of altercation here. And they had also not spent the night here, which is what the rumor was that they had camped there. Also, if you look at the final portraits of the couple, they do seem a little strained. So there's thoughts that maybe there was something troubling the couple, but I don't know. They've been on the river at this point for 375 miles. So maybe they're just tired, you guys. Do you want to see what one of the last pictures looks like of them? Mm-hmm. That's them? Yeah. She looks just like his dad. I know. I will say, too, though, back in this time, not everybody smiled for pictures. Mm-mm. So I don't know how crazy it is. I mean, they, they look like they're just trying not to smile. See, they're even kind of smiling in those ones. This is earlier on, though. Oh, well, of course. You're tired as fuck. I mean, on our little four-day adventure of us hiking, like, a ridiculous amount of miles. We look a lot better. We always try to do more pictures at the beginning of our travels because we look a lot less haggard. Because at mile 10 that I've done, I'm a little less smiley. By mile 10? Maddie, it's funny. When we did, when we backpacked in Europe, there's a bunch of pictures of her doing like this leprechaun jump. She did it all the time. But they're all early in the morning. She's never doing them late in the evening. It's always early in the morning when we're first starting out. And she's like, yeah, this is great. And then... Well, the first few hours (laughs) of hiking are really fun. And then not so much. (laughs) Then the rest are not so much fun. So in 1971, a commercial rafting trip was underway, and while camping at Diamond Creek near where the couple's boat had been found, one of the guides was telling the story of Glenn and Bessie when a woman in the group revealed her true identity. She claimed to be Bessie Hyde. Yeah. She then told the tale of how her and Glenn had a fight while traveling downriver. She had said that he wanted to complete the trip and that she did not, and she claimed that he had beat her, and she had stabbed him in retaliation. She then said that she disposed of the body and, like, hiked out. All right. Okay. So this woman died in 1992. 
And when her friends went through her belongings, they found her birth certificate that said that her name was Bessie DeRoss, not Georgina Clark. Which is what everybody knew her by. They also found a copy of Bessie and Glenn's marriage certificate amongst her belongings. She was the same age that Bessie would have been. Big shocker, though, when she was confronted with the story, she denied it. Right. So a lot of people believe that she was actually just obsessed with the story and had somehow gotten a hold of the couple's marriage certificate and had lied about the whole story, which I tend to believe as well. There's absolutely no indication that there was any kind of domestic abuse in this relationship at all. In fact, it seems to be the opposite. There has to be more proof that that's not actually her. There's actually a picture comparison, I think, in here. Bessie D. Ross, was that Bessie Hyde's maiden no, name? No, no. She just had the first name Bessie, which they thought was very weird. But that also could have been part of why she was obsessed with it. But why was she going by a different name, Georgina Clark, anyway? It's super weird. I tend to think that she just was, like, off her rocker a little bit. Well, who knows? Everyone was ingesting lead. So this was Georgina Clark. This is what Georgina Clark looked like. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think she looks a lot like Bessie, but I could see why people would think they were similar. So this was a picture of Bessie, and this was a picture of Georgina Clark when she was younger. I can't tell they're making two entirely different faces. Yeah. Georgina is like smiling. She has squinty eyes right now and I can see her teeth and I can't even tell if they have the same mouth or eyes. They kind of have a similar nose, I guess. Yeah, so I mean it just doesn't help the rumors that this woman is saying this. And then also denied it, completely denied it later on when confronted about her story. Now, in 1976... Emery Kolb dies. And if you remember Emery, he's one of the brothers that helped in the search and had interacted with Glenn and Bessie in their last week. When his family was going through his property, they found a skeleton lying in a canoe suspended in the rafters in his boathouse. Kind of a strange thing to find. I mean, it's not a skeleton in your closet, but yikes. In a boat in your rafters. It was determined that they belonged to a male in his early 20s, about six foot with light brown hair. They also found a bullet in his skull, and it was a 32 projectile from a revolver manufactured in 1902. The clothing also appeared to be from the 20s. Now, a photo was compared to the skull, and it did not appear to match Glenn's face. Because, of course, that's what people are thinking. Okay. He tracked them down further down river for whatever reason. Wanted Bessie. Who knows? There's rumors that maybe him and Bessie had a thing, which there's no proof or indication that that's real. Of course. But it ends up not being Glenn's skull. Still super, super weird. First off, I need a boathouse. Second off, I need a canoe, and I need this boathouse to have rafters. 
Yeah. Third, I somehow need to find a way to legally obtain a human skeleton. That you can leave in there for people to find later on. When I die. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Now, I did read somewhere that they ended up figuring out who this skeleton might have belonged to. Not They didn't know who the person was. There were rumors that he had found the skeleton near the river and that it was a man who had shot himself. And at one point, it was said that he even lent the skeleton to like the local school for a couple years and that it had ended up back in his possession when that teacher retired. So... Nowadays, you find a skeleton in somebody's house. They probably did something bad to get it. But back at this time. What a time to fucking live in. I know. It's- You're telling me that nobody batted an eye. They were just like, skeleton in the rafters. I think that if he hadn't been so involved in the hide search, they probably wouldn't have even made a big deal about this skeleton. Now, on November 29 of 1997, this story actually ran on Unsolved Mysteries. God, I used to love Unsolved Mysteries. I probably they watched this story. series on Hulu. Is it the original? How am I supposed I to know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so theories in this case, you guys. Could Georgina Clark really have been Bessie Hyde? Maybe. I don't think so. I mean... I would say an extremely slim chance, especially since she went back on her story. And her young life is well documented. So it makes it hard to fake that. I don't know. The pictures have also been compared by professionals, and they do not believe that they match. Again, hard to tell based on what Maddie and I looked at, but... Yeah, I would also say... Now... Could they have ended up in the water? Yes. High chance. High chance. They didn't have life jackets. Yeah. Well, and they both had ended up out of the boat already at one point. Now, at mile 232 rapids, it was a well-known dangerous area. So could one of them had fallen out of the boat and the other one tried to go after them? Like, my thought would be, did Bessie fall out and Glenn tried to get to her? Very possible. Could they both have fallen out if the boat came down a rapid mm-hmm. in a particular way. Very, very plausible. Yeah. I would say third possibility would be they went, they stopped on the side somewhere, they were taking a bathroom break or something. And they lost the boat. And they lost the boat. And yeah. then they got lost out there somewhere. Yep. Well, like I said, there's a lot of abandoned shacks. There's a lot of places that they could have taken shelter in and ended up perishing Which would make it harder for them to find, especially like some of these old buildings were just like torn down or burned down. I mean, who knows if anybody could have been in any of them. Also, we are in the 30s. Everyone is consuming lead. Nobody is consuming clean drinking (laughs) water. her fucking lead. Who knows what was going on? The lead. It's all in the lead. Um, I highly recommend the book Sunk Without a Sound. It was a great book. It's by Brad Dimmock. Dimmock? I don't know. I did not read it. (laughs) Shocking. It was really good. There's a ton of really good, like, pictures of the search of the couple. I did see the pictures. Maddie, Maddie likes books with pictures. So that was a really great book. This case was also recommended by Nicole Maynard. Thank you. It 
was a crazy case. I literally can't believe it. Thank you to all of our Patreons who ordered their stickers. I sent them out yesterday. We will still be sending them out until the end of the month. So please join Patreon. You get to choose between a sticker of my backpack or Marie's backpack. They're amazing. And um, that's what you get for joining Patreon right now. So, And they're, the stickers are only available on Patreon, too. And speaking of Patreon, we have some new Patreons. So we have Alicia Molina. Hi, Alicia. We have Yasmin Bryant. We have Christy Valenzuela. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Welcome to Patreon. We have Tim Dev- What? Devane. Devane. Tim Devane. I would guess. Hi, Tim. We also have William Doby. Welcome to Patreon. Doby. It's not Dobby. I don't know. I hope his last name is Dobby. Not Doby. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like from Harry Potter. Oh, my God. Dobby. We have Bailey Wade. Hi, Bailey. Welcome to Patreon. We also have David Betham. Hi, David. Welcome to Patreon. All right. Thank you. Thank you for supporting us. We really appreciate you guys. You're amazing. Um, we're going to click over to our bunker talk right now. So thank you. Thank you. And we will talk to you guys all soon. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. We're about to get interrupted. Um, hello. Can we help you? Um, Phoenix, you did such a good job. But but you did only this at the top and this at the bottom of this, and you did the strings way differently. Well, I just brushed them out. That's why they look different. You did a really good job. So... Phoenix has been entertaining herself today because Maddie and I have been busy. What uh, what have you been doing today, Phoenix? Well, I have been making like a little keychain. I've been making a keychain. I do. I like your keychain a lot. And I turned all the lights on. <laughs> you turned all like every light in the house was on <laughs> when I walked upstairs. Maddie's back. But only upstairs. Yeah, only upstairs. And while I was gone, Maddie actually got Phoenix a milkshake. And Phoenix was like, why? (laughs) Hey. What? I'm just saying why. Milkshakes are good. Why would anybody not want a milkshake? Mm. Okay. All right, go entertain yourself. You did a really good job on the keychain. And these are really long. They look great. No more no more arts and crafts. But cut out your kite shape and cut out your cloud because those are going to be templates on your kite, okay? On the, the white papers, you got to cut them out. Can you go do that? And then clean up your mess upstairs, okay? But cut all the... Yeah, you just got to cut around the kite and then around the cloud. Because you're going to use those to trim new more. Yeah. Okay, love you.